Great. Let's go ahead and uh, try to pick up where we left off last time. And uh, maybe a, a slight bit of overlap here, but not too much, just to get a little context for what we're talking about. And as I've told you before, Romans chapter 8, I think, is <clears throat> one of the best, best chapters in the New Testament, at least to me personally, all right? Um, for a Christian trying to live the Christian life and honest about the struggle that it is. A Christian that looks at themselves honestly and recognizes that they fall short and doesn't want to keep falling short. You want to grow. Uh, I really believe that this chapter gives the, some of the nuts and bolts, some of the, the tools it takes to help uh, you realize what the Lord's done for you and what you're capable of as a Christian. And in the verse number 18, we left off last week with this verse, and I gave you some of the references that I wanted to give you. He said, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth together in, uh, in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of the body. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Uh, Brother Long, would you ask God to bless the preaching tonight, please? Amen. All right, to reckon means to count the number, to compute or to calculate. In the verb form, it is to reason with oneself and conclude from arguments. Look at that in verse 28, in verse 18. He said, For I reckon. So Paul literally is saying, I sit down and I count it up. I count the number. I, I compute it. I calculate it. I reason with myself. And I, I deal with myself and I conclude from the arguments that the sufferings. So the context of this thing is suffering. The context of this, if I was preaching this, and I'm not, I'm teaching verse by verse. But if I was preaching this, I'd label it when it doesn't add up. 
when, when life doesn't add up, when sufferings don't add up. I said it before and I'll say it again. I sure am glad that I've never preached the prosperity gospel. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deal a little bit with that this Sunday morning because there are some biblical truths that do relate to Christians and do play out in a Christian's life when a Christian follows the Word of God, but it's not the prosperity gospel that's actually playing out. I'm glad I never taught my kids that if you do right, then God's going to do X, Y, and Z in your life. I'm glad I've never preached to my church that if you do right, then that means your life's going to play out this way. You can't really premeditate the way your life is going to play out. And just because you're serving Jesus Christ does not mean that you're freed from suffering. Actually, quite the contrary. Jesus Christ himself was perfectly honest with his followers. Right up front, he said, take up thy cross and follow me. He told them up front what it meant to follow him. He talked to them about suffering. He showed them an example of following God and doing right and serving God from the depths of your heart and soul with all that's in you. I mean, his face sat like a flint. He knew exactly what he was going to do, made up his mind beforehand, and pressed on. I mean, he went right through death, right through hell, off over into Abraham's bosom, popped back up out of that thing and back to eternity. He literally went through death and hell following the will of God. A conscious choice to suffer for God. And then we get saved and we think somehow or another because we heard some shallow yahoo of a preacher get up and take promises God gives to Israel in the Old Testament that if you then I, if you then I, and those promises all have to do with the here and now. All have to do with making money and all have to do with property and land and victory and all the rest of that stuff and health and wealth and all the rest of that. All those health and wealth promises are in the Bible but those things are to Israel, not to the church. Don't you realize for 2,000 years, God's been sitting back watching people, number one, butcher his son. I mean, he was, I read it in my personal devotions today, he was marred more than any man. Now you think about that for a minute. They tore him to shreds. And he sat back and let it happen and watched it. And then right after that, come right out of the gate, early on in the book of Acts, you watch what's happening to the people that put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. They're getting butchered, they're getting killed, they're getting sawn asunder, they're getting fed to lions, they're getting burned at the stake, they're getting cut wide open with babies in their belly, and the baby hacked out of the belly of the mother and chopped up right in front of them. I mean, God sat back and watched that happen for 2,000 years to people that love him and let it go. Now, now that, that ties into what we'll be dealing with Sunday night. Because when he comes back at that second advent, full of the cup of the wrath of God, fed up. Boy, you better believe something's coming out that ain't no good, man. I mean, it's good, but it ain't no good from a human perspective. You understand what I'm saying? It ain't no good for the people there fighting against him. No wonder the blood runs up to the horse's bridle. He's been sitting back and watching that for a long time. But Paul says this, when I sit back and look at it, when I sit back and watch that I've been trying to serve God and what I get for it is frustration and depression and discouragement and troubles and trials and, and financial issues and health problems and mockery and losing of friends and losing a family and all I get for it is suffering, I reckon this, when I add it up, when I reason with myself, when I sit back and evaluate it, 
I just figure, you know what, whatever's going on right now can't even be compared to what God's going to do for me as a result. In other words, when he evaluates the ROI on it, you understand what I'm saying? The return on investment. When he sits back and says, well, that's a pretty good stock. Look, if I could tell you right now you could buy a stock for a buck, and in, and in 25 years, that stock, that same stock that right now is worth a dollar, is going to be a million dollars a stock. How many of you would come up with some money today? Paul said, when I sit back and reckon this, when I sit back and add up this, the, the return on the investment goes so far through the roof. The numbers, when you add the numbers up, they grow so exponentially. It explodes. Beyond, I, I can't even compare it. There's no way to even add it up. This is the guy that got caught up and saw what's up there. He said, there's no way. I hasn't seen and ear hasn't heard. Neither has entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love him. So you're going through a hard time? So how about this? How about quit on God like a lot of Christians do? How about get so discouraged you just quit praying, you quit reading your Bible, you quit coming to church, you quit trying? And, and, and here's what I want you to think about when you sit back and add it up. If you quit, what's that going to do for you? Whatever problems you have right now, right now, whatever problems you have, if you decide you're done with God, that, you know, thank you for saving me, but I'm done walking with him. I give up. I'm not turning to the Lord anymore. I'm not turning to the Bible anymore. I'm not getting to my knees anymore to pray. I'm not going to church anymore. I'm not turning to my Christian friends anymore. I'm just done with this stuff. I'm going back to the bottle. I'm going back to the bar. I'm going back to the joint. Or whatever you do, I'm just going to sit home and put my feet up and just indulge myself in the things of this world. Is that going to take away your problems? You, you got to count some stuff up. you got to sit back and reckon some stuff. When it doesn't add up, you better make sure you sit back and start adding up. That's what Paul did. you got to realize that your sufferings are not for no reason. Look at Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verse 3. He says, And not only so, but we glory in tribulation. Why? Knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. You realize your sufferings are a great opportunity for you to draw closer to God in a way you couldn't without those? Paul said we glory in tribulations. He got tuned into something, folks, that you and I need to get tuned into. And God laid it out in the Bible for us so we had an opportunity to study it and let the Word of God get down into our hearts and kind of get into our thinking process and get into the active uh, daily events of our lives and begin to realize that when I'm going through a hard time, this is not because God wants to destroy me. I actually glory in tribulation. Why? Because I know what God's going to do with this if I stick with Him. Look at another one. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Look at verse 17. He says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment. <laughs> uh, your afflictions don't always feel light, do they? Yeah. 
And your afflictions don't always feel like but for a moment. It's one thing to have a really bad problem for a week or a month or whatever, but it's another thing when that thing drags on into month after month and year after year. I can be a small thing that if it just doesn't go away for long enough, it doesn't feel so light. You know what Paul understood because he'd gotten up there and seen what's on the other side and come back? You know what he understood? Whatever we deal with in this lifetime, it's a light affliction. And it's but for a moment. Why? Because blink your eyes and you're dead. Literally. <laughs> well, I mean, not literally, but literally. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it just goes so cotton-picking fast. It's just like that. I was picking up something this week for my, my daughter, and they said birth date, and I said, okay, let's see, she's 16. So, And then I realized, like, oh, I almost started crying in line. I'm like, no, she's not 16. She's, she's actually going to be 18 in a couple of weeks. My, that makes my oldest. I was, I was thinking Anna's 18 and Sophie's 16. It's like, no, Anna's almost 20 and Sophie's almost 8. I'd like, is this even possible? I still feel like I'm 15, man. I remember it like it was yesterday. You just realize how short this life is? That's the only point I'm making. This life is so short, it's not even funny. So whatever you're going through, Paul says our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for you. It's like that stock you bought. It's getting to work. You bought it, you put it aside, you forget about it, but that thing's working. If that stock's growing, that thing's working for you while you're sleeping. And that's what the sufferings of this life are. Go to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. You see, God thinks enough of you to allow you to suffer. Ain't that weird? I learned it years ago. I remember an older preacher said to me, he said, Mike, you underestimate your people. And, I, and it hit me. I said, he's, I mean, this was probably 12 or 13 years ago now. It hit me. I said, he's right. I do. I, I always think, you know, whenever some problems hit, oh, well, oh, there he goes. To be honest with you, when Brother Paul had been saved very long at all, and then he's uh, 59 when he got saved. I think he was 59 when he got saved. And just was just so excited about cleaning the church and teaching Sunday school and just jumping on board, doing anything he could do. And then he loses his eyesight and almost dies of a heart attack and his lungs start filling up with fluid and in and out of the hospitals and rheumatoid arthritis. And all. I, thought, I thought, man, it, just, it figures, you know, it just stinking figures. You don't very often see people at 59 years old come down to the altar and get saved, trust Christ, and then their life changes. At 59 years old, it's a change. And I just said, it's just like the stinking devil. Probably was the devil. And he's, you know, he's extremely independent man, so he was always driving. I mean, no matter what, even though Miss Patty's a better driver, he was always driving. <laughs> and can't drive. He still mows the lawn. She tells him it looks great. <laughs> I'm thinking, there ain't no way he's going to make it. Well, that was how many years ago now? He's 70... Are you 70 or 71? 70? I'm 70. 70. Still here. Ain't that wild? You know, I'm, I'm quite a bit younger than him, and if the Lord lets me live the rest of my ministry, I'll be using him as an example when he's home in glory. Of now, now, why are you going to quit? Why are you discouraged? Why are you dropping out? 
So God looked at it and said, well, I guess I can do more with Paul this way than I can with him cleaning the church and, and shoveling the sidewalk and teaching Sunday school. I think I can do more with Paul like this. And long after he's dead, the Lord's using that as a testimony of the rest of you. Why weren't you in church? You, just, you can't underestimate God. God lets you go through some stuff because He knows what's better for us than we know for ourselves. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, "...who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. If need be, what for? That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire." might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. You know why God lets you suffer? Because it tries your faith. And when God tries your faith, it's a precious thing. You guys that are preachers, if you really want God to use you and you really want to preach and you follow that, then I'll guarantee you one thing will happen for sure. If God's going to use you, first He'll have to bruise you. I guarantee you, you'll have to suffer a little bit in order to be able to minister to suffering people. You can't minister to suffering people if you haven't suffered. You'll be an arrogant little jerk. You'll be nitpicking at everybody. I, I remember Brother Lynch saying it uh, years ago. He said, you need, to, you need to work a job and come in tired on Wednesday night so that when you get in the pulpit someday and you're full time, you aren't beating up on people that come in on Wednesday night tired and fall asleep. <laughs> you got to suffer a little bit to understand people suffering. Make you a better preacher. 1 Peter chapter 4, look at verse 12. 1 Peter 4, 12. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice. <laughs> what? Well, I mean, some fiery trial comes to try you. Some bizarre thing, man, it hits you out of nowhere. And you're like, are you joking right now? And he says, no, when that happens, don't think it's strange. Don't get all weirded out about it. Rejoice. <laughs> I don't know that we really have that level of spirituality, do you? I mean, I would love to, but I'm not there yet. Rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of the suffering of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief. This is how lost people suffer. Murderers suffer, boy. You better believe they do. Thieves suffer. Or as an evildoer. Evildoers suffer. Or as a busybody in other men's matters. Well, that's the generation you're in. Everybody's checking out what everybody else is doing 24-7. God said, get your nose out of everybody else's business. Ain't none of your business. People, you don't need to be making comments. You know, somebody walks in and growling. You got well, look at the look on your face. It's none of your business. Amen. Mind your own business. Don't be a tool of the devil. Don't suffer because you start getting your nose in other people's business. You know what's going to happen? Sooner or later, you're going to get your nose broke. People don't want your nose, your nose in their business. Don't suffer as a busybody in other men's matters. 
Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. You say, well, I'm not suffering as a Christian. I'm just suffering because I have problems in this life. Well, that's not how the Bible looks at it. When you start carrying the same burden a lost person carries, but out of you comes rejoicing in the middle of your burden, you don't think that's a testimony of the lost world that when they have the same problem you have, they start getting depressed and discouraged and they're moping around and crying about it, but you got some joy and some purpose in your suffering because you know what the Lord can do through it. Back to Romans chapter 8, please. Now, with that in mind, verse 19, 4, the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. Ain't that a nice, confusing verse? The word for means in the place of or against as a substitute or equivalent. So he's talking about the sufferings of this present time as compared to the glory later that's going to be revealed. Then he says in verse 19, for the earnest expectation of the creature. So there's an A, B, A, B here. There's a compare and contrast in both of these verses. The earnest expectation. An expectation is like looking forward to something. It's, it's an act of looking forward to a future event. It's like, I know this is going to happen. I'm, I'm, I'm expecting it any moment. Right? And how is the expectation it's in earnest like like brother joe talked about it's zealous it's it's an excited looking for the earnest expectation of the creature that's a weird way to put it waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of god a manifestation is a revealing it's to show something so what creature is this because when you look at the next verse it says for the creature was made subject to vanity not willingly but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Okay, so hang on a minute. When you use modern English and you say hope, it's like your fingers are crossed and, well, I really hope something good comes out of my suffering, right? But that's not how the Bible defines hope. You're looking for that blessed and the glorious appearing. You're earnestly expecting that Jesus Christ is coming because you know he's coming. You're not like, well, I hope we got it right that there's a rapture coming and sitting around with your fingers crossed. You know, according to the Bible, Jesus Christ is coming to get you out of here, not as a thief in the night, which we'll look at on Sunday night, but he's coming as a bridegroom to get his bride, and that could happen any second now, and you're earnestly expecting that, right? Yeah, amen. Tonight. That's your hope. So, so you got, amen, brother. So you got the earnest expectation in verse 19 and then the hope at the end of verse 20. I've showed you multiple times how the King James Bible will define terms for you, usually within a verse or two, somewhere in the context of the word whenever you're not sure about something. So this hope at the end of verse 20 is not a fingers crossed. It's this creature who's made subject to vanity, not willingly. But by reason, there's a reason that we're subject to vanity and we're hoping, earnestly expecting that the day's coming where the manifestation of the sons of God is going to be. So here's the deal. I can't look at you and tell whether or not you're saved. But when we get to heaven, when the rapture hits, it'll be manifested who the sons of God are. In other words, some of those people at work that you think are lost, 
It might be manifested later that they were actually born again at some point. They're just living like the devil and ignoring everything God tells them to do, ignoring all the stuff Paul instructs them in, ignoring everything we've been teaching on Wednesday nights, and they've given themselves over. They've yielded to the flesh so much that there's literally no difference between the lost them and the saved them because they're still living in sinful flesh, which don't forget is the whole context of chapter 8. Paul talking to chapter 7, in me that is in my flesh dwelt no good thing. And his desperation with his struggle against sin and with the suffering that he's going through as a new creature, as a new man with the Spirit of God in him, suffering in the flesh against sin, this constant war going on. Listen, the reason you're miserable if you're miserable, you know what it is, right? It ain't the Spirit of God. It's a lack of joy. The reason you're miserable if you're miserable that would more than likely be envy or covetousness or unforgiveness or discontent or bitterness or competition or all kinds of things that have nothing to do with God's Spirit. God's Spirit is not indwelling the Christian to create misery and frustration. It's love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith and meekness and temperance. I mean, if I could be flooded with all these things, how great would my life be? How great would my mindset be? How great would my sleep be? How great would everything, no matter what everybody else is doing, if I was flooded with all that, I think I'd be a pretty happy man. I think I'd be like the, the disciples that go away rejoicing that we're kind of worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus, you know? Ain't that great? They just beat us. Oh, man, yeah. Look, my scars are worse than yours. Yeah, I know, but my shirt's sticking to my back, you know? I mean, listen, this is awesome. That's great. That's, that's crazy stuff. That's not somebody tuned into the flesh at all. If I could be that guy, Paul's like, this is my frustration because here I am living in vanity, Vanity is emptiness. Vanity is, is failure. Vanity is something that's worthless and, and, and not worthwhile. Vanity is like your breath. that just You breathe it out and there's that. You can see it in the wintertime and it's gone. What was, what was to it? There's nothing to it. That's your flesh. Literally. That is your flesh. Do you realize that that body you're sitting in right now is not going to heaven? That body's lost. It's full of sin. You are not taking it with you. So, I mean, you know, take good care of yourself and all the rest of that jazz and whatever. You know, and I guess we should to an extent, right? Because we don't want to die early, which you can do. You, could, you can eat yourself to death. You do know that, right? You could smoke yourself to death, whatever. You can die early by not taking care of yourself before God necessarily planned for you, so we don't want that. I certainly don't want to have ever, ever, ever have my daughters change my diaper. Right? So, I mean, I, and also hopefully you can take care of yourself and not, I mean, if it happens, you know it wasn't your own fault, right? You follow me? But honestly, it, the Bible says bodily exercise profiteth little. And so there could be some profit in it, but no matter what you do, you're just pushing back against what's going to happen. That body's going to get old, and it's going to go into a grave, and it's going to rot. And if the rapture happens, you ain't taking it with you, because God's changing it into a glorified body. You will live in a body-obsessed generation. So obsessed that nowadays when you look at it on the internet, no matter Instagram or Facebook or whatever else, look, it's all a lie. 
just obsessed with this stuff. It's vanity. The creature, now that's a great thought right there. I looked at that word creature. I began running the references throughout my Bible, and creature is something created by God. So the creature applies to animals, both domestic and wild, cherubims, fowls, humans. So depending on the context, when you see the word creature, you know what it's talking about. All right, so here's the thing that you got to understand. This is what, I don't know why most people don't get this. This is not hard to understand, but I think it's just been miscommunicated, mistaught by people that don't study the Bible or believe the Bible, and yet they get up and they teach people the Bible, which is bizarre to me, but that's what happens. So, yeah, I just said that. They don't believe the Bible. They don't study the Bible. They study the originals. They don't study the Bible, and they get up and teach people the Bible, which doesn't make any sense to me. And people eat it up. You are not God's creation at birth. Adam and Eve were God's creation. A son of God is anything directly created by God. God created Adam out of the dust of the ground, took a rib out, and created Eve. They were sons of God. Do you understand that? You know what you are? You're procreation. In other words, God created the science... And then the science continued. Now, that's not theistic evolution. We don't believe that at all. But since the beginning of creation, right? Now, God created this thing a certain way, and the trees drop seeds in the ground, and new trees come. So here's the thing. Lost people aren't sons of God. They're dead in trespasses, and we're all the children of God. Hogwash. When do you become a son of God? The day you get saved. Let me show you the verses. Go with me, if you would, please, to John chapter 1. John chapter number 1. I'll just show you about three verses that would make it very clear. John chapter 1, verse 12. But as many as received Him. Did you do that? You received Jesus Christ as your Savior. Okay. The second you did that, to them gave He power to become the sons of God even to them which believe in his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That's John chapter 3. You can go over there. John chapter 3. Verse 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That's procreation. That's, that's two becoming one. That's mama, daddy, and a baby, right? That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That's the will of man. You want to have a baby? You want to have a baby? Let's have a baby. That's your will, right? That which is born of the will of, the fle of flesh is flesh, the will of man. Look, this Roman Catholic doctrine or this, I don't know, Muslims seem to believe the same thing, of, of no birth control, let God plan the family, is not a scriptural doctrine. Which were born not of the will of man. That's what God said. You have a will. So happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. And you got a bunch of little wackos that run around thinking that they're more spiritual if they pop out more babies than the next family in the church. So it's like, if she gets pregnant again, i got to get pregnant again. you got these, you know, like, all these quiverful ministries, you know. It, like, it, what, are you worshiping the family? This is like the status symbol of spirituality. You're taking two commands that God made once to Adam and once to Noah to be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. As your personal command. 
You lost your mind. And a lot of times I can't even afford it. I mean, man, if you got, you know, if you make, make, make buku bucks, I mean, if you're a seven, eight figure salary every year and you got the property to, and the housing to, to give them all a bedroom and feed them all and all the rest of that stuff, you know, more power to you. But I'd say, you know, if you don't, you might want to just consider, you know, kids sleeping in dresser drawers and all the rest of that stuff because you can't stop having kids because you think, I don't care if you're doing it because you love kids and you always want to. That's your business. None of my business. What I'm saying is, don't think that's a status symbol. That's just procreations, all that is. Trying to keep up with the rabbits or something. <laughs> Verse 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Now watch this, now watch this phrase. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a what? 2 Corinthians 5.17 If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, behold, all things are become new. Now go back to Romans chapter 8. The earnest expectation of the creature... When you got saved, did your body change? No. Did you all of a sudden get like go back to square one and find the fountain of youth? No. That thing ain't talking about the flesh. That new creature's inside of you. So you could be 50 years old in the flesh and be one year old in the spirit. You mean you can have a 50-year-old babe in Christ, 100%. How about that? That creature... The earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. Do you know what your spirit's waiting for? Your spirit is waiting for God to manifest what He's already done inside of you. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of Him who has subjected the same in hope. That's your earnest expectation of verse 19. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption under the glorious liberty of the children of God. You see that? You guys get that? The creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption. You mean there's a day I'm going to break out of this? You've never seen Mike Reagan. You haven't. You've never seen Mike Reagan. All you've seen is the show Mike Reagan lives in. I cannot wait for the day. In other words, according to that verse, true liberty is freedom from the bondage of a corrupt flesh. We got liberty. I got liberty. I got liberty. We got liberty. I'm so tired of hearing people say that as an excuse for drinking alcohol, hanging out at the bar, living in fornication, doing whatever they want to do. They, they hide behind their sin, the, the verse, the, they hide behind liberty to justify their sin. Well, we're under grace, we're under liberty. No, liberty in the New Testament is liberty to be freed from this mess and to live fully for God with everything I've got. That's liberty. And in the meanwhile, man, I'm struggling to get free. So, I, I, these, isn't, is it not as plain as the nose on my face? That's liberty in the Christ. 
You got liberty in Christ. You know what that means? That means you're freed from sin. Brethren, you got liberty in Christ. That means stop envying and biting and devouring one another. That means forgive one another. That means quit gossiping about one another. That means love each other and love the Lord and serve Him with all your heart and quit getting caught up in sin. That's liberty. It says only use not your liberty as an occasion to the flesh. Light, hello, duh. Well, we got liberty while they're sitting there talking to you over a beer. I don't, I don't get you. I don't know what Bible you've been reading or who your preacher is. Who's been teaching you the Bible? Somebody that can't read English? For we know, for we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. That is life in a sinful world. I watched my dog Sarge, man. He was six years old. That was the best dog ever. Don't care what you say. Don't even want to hear it. I'm sure you've had a great dog too. Whatever. Your dog was not as good as my dog, okay? Just kidding. He was the bomb. Man, I would, I would turn around and he'd be like, I'd be trip over him because he'd just come in quietly and lay down behind me. Now, now this new one that we adopted from my mom, he's 11. Like I told you, some dogs shouldn't be male. I know there's scientific issues with that, but he's a golden doodle. Okay? And he's kind of the same way, but he's not perfect like Sarge was. Because when I get up, he gets up with me. And I'm like, oh, I turn around and go grab him. I'm like, run into this stupid dog. Sarge was just cool, man. He would just lay there. He'd look up. He'd see me leave. Sometimes he wouldn't even turn his head. He'd just look. <laughs> watch me walk out. And he'd wait. When I didn't come back in, he'd come in. He'd slide and he'd lay down on the floor. I mean, in the garage, he'd go over there, he'd lay down, hot summer, be out in the garage working out, he'd go over there and lay down, I'd turn around there, he'd be, he'd slip in somewhere and lay down, he'd like being romp, great dog, he wanted to be pet, if I pet him, he was good, if I said no, go away, he'd just go lay down, just, that dog, for no good reason, we were out of town, because something's wrong with Sarge, he won't eat, he won't drink, he's puking, he's wetting in the, in the mud room, like, that dog never go to the bathroom in the house. Started wetting on himself, laying in his pee. Don't even, don't even know. They said something was wrong. Six years old, he dies. Like randomly, just that fast, and like just a few days, he's gone. The whole creation. Now, I, believe it or not, nowhere near as tough as I act. That tore me up, man. Taking that dog in, having that dog get put down. They, she shot him up, and I sat there and just rubbed his face like that. Grace was right there with me. We were crying. He's looking at me. Just held his face until he was gone. You know what that is? That's the whole creation groaning and travailing in pain. Watching that dog try to get up and carry him outside. He'd be wetting himself and set him down and try to get him to go to the bathroom. He could hardly stand up. No idea. Just watching him be in pain. This new one, just he's, he's got, you can tell how he moves, you know, like he's getting old. You can tell, I can see him like sometimes the way he, if something's in the way, I move it out of the way, and then he'll walk through. He looks like he's got joint pain. Like, that's not fair. What'd that dog ever do? Nothing. The dog's a complete sissy. He only barks because he's scared to death. You think about it. You, you, you ever see an animal get tore up by another animal because it's hungry? Watched it right out the office at my house today. Some big old hawk landed in the trees right in my neighbor's yard and had a big old bird in his talons. And he landed down there, and he said, bah, bah, and he starts tearing that thing up. I mean, he was a monster. 
He was so big, I'm like, is that an eagle? I mean, like, what in the world? And I stood there and watched him eat the other animal. What did that other animal do? You know, the crows are coming in because stuff's dropping on the ground over there. The crows came in later. Not wild. Earthquakes. Tsunamis. Hurricanes. Tornadoes. Think about it. Volcanoes. You know, you know, you guys notice how many earthquakes have been hitting lately? And volcanoes happening recently? I can't, this is just me being crazy, so just forgive me for this for a second, but I can't help but to wonder with all these wars going on, all the people dying in Russia and Ukraine and, and Gaza Strip and Africa and all the places, I wonder if hell's enlarging itself because so many are dying and it's the core's heating up so you're not getting the same winters you used to get anywhere. I wonder, it's just me being crazy, so don't, you know, think I'm crazy. I'm just crazy. Just talking. I wonder. Not a bad thought. You realize you're sitting on a great big old cursed dirt ball. And you see it in all of creation, even those animals. I told you a hundred times I love watching them lions and them wolves and stuff. But a little bit of me kind of cringes when they catch something and they, the, the lions were catching that wild boar and ripping his backside off while he kept running. He kept running, and they're ripping chunks of his backside off, and he's running away from them and screaming and squealing. They pin him down. They're eating him, and he's still screaming and squealing. They're eating him alive. I'm not trying to be crude or gross or offend any of your sensibilities. And I mean, we don't have too sensible, sensitive of a generation nowadays, so hopefully I'm okay here. But that's nature. That's a mess, man. The whole thing's a mess. It's groaning in pain. Why? Because of sin. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. You see that? Even we ourselves groan within ourselves. What are we groaning about? We're waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of the body. You know what you're waiting for? You know what your sufferings are doing? You know why you groan? You know why when you mess up, hear me, Christian, when you mess up, you know why you feel so bad about it? Because you do, don't you? You know why? Because you have a heart for God. Not because you're so wicked and so evil. It bothers you because you do care. And you're trapped in sinful flesh and you're wanting out. I'm just letting you know what you actually want. You just don't always realize it. You're not always putting it all together. That conviction, that misery, that frustration, that bitterness, all that stuff that's bothering you. You're trapped inside sin. You, have no, you ought to have no confidence in the flesh. And what you're longing for, what you're looking for, what you're groaning within yourself for is, I want out. I'm in prison right now. And I cannot wait till I get out. That's what's actually happening spiritually. Waiting for the adoption to wit. What does he mean by it? To know the redemption of the body. That's that glorified body. This body you got's going into a grave. It's not saved. You can't take it to heaven. You got to get a glorified body. That thou fool, that which it cannot grow unless, unless it be sown, right? You got to put it in the ground. 1 Corinthians 15 last week. Then it can be quickened. They're not taking that one with you. 
So the adoption is done. The father's paid for it and he signed the papers. If you're saved. Now you're just waiting for him to show up and get you out of this stinking crazy orphanage you're stuck in. That's what you're stuck in. You're in an orphanage. And the master of this orphanage is Lucifer. And he's going around beating the kids as much as he can. And he's trying to starve them as much as he can. And you're waiting for the Father to show up and get you out of here. Verse 24, for we are saved by hope. We've already defined that. That's not this I, fingers crossed deal. It's looking for, earnestly expecting. It's a glorious hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Oh, patience. James 1, 3 and 4. I'm not going to turn there for the sake of time, but you've got to look at it. Let patience have her perfect work that she may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Brother Lynch used to say it to me all the time, slow down, slow down. Don't be in a rush. You know what he told me when I was in my 20s? He sat there, he said, Mike, God will put you in the ministry. Slow down. And I, I, I could hear him, but I just, I couldn't do it. I was so amped up. And he said, relax, boy. God's got you. If God called you, a man's gift maketh room for him. If God called you, God will do it. And I just, I, that patience thing got me in trouble. You know what you ought to do? You ought to, you ought to try as early as you can in your life to learn to be patient. God's put me through it with this addition. This thing was supposed to be done three years ago. And you know what? Actually, I'm good right now. <laughs> but he had to drag it out for me to get me to just give it up. Just let it go. Quit putting your heart and mind and effort and energy into a building and let God do it. And I got the email today that said we got uh, the approval from the, uh, the uh, Oakland County Road Commission. And so the ball's rolling. And then all the fees and all the rest of that were attached to the email. Praise the Lord. But the ball's rolling, right? So praise God. Patience. You know what I'm thankful for? I'm thankful God slowed us down. Because three years ago, by now, if we'd have got it done when we wanted to, by now we'd probably be struggling pretty bad. But the way God's grown this thing and the way you folks give, I think we're ready. I think just maybe, just maybe our Father knew exactly what the timing was. Just maybe. I'm just saying. <laughs> Just maybe he saw the fire marshal coming in and saying, here's an extra 150000 And maybe he knew how to prepare us for it. Just maybe, right? Just saying patience is not a bad thing. Verse 26, likewise. Like what? Like hope. Now watch this. The Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. The Spirit of God helps your weakness. Ain't that something? You know how awesome God is? He knows how weak you are. He knows everything about you. You know all the things you hate about yourself? Some of you are so down on yourself and such negative Nancy about yourself. Not, critique, not criticizing you for being negative. I'm saying about yourself. That the devil gets advantage of you. The Spirit of God knows everything there is to know about you and He cares. And he wants to help. For we know not what to pray for as we ought. 
That's why when I hear somebody showing off with their elaborate prayer, I'm completely unimpressed. I'm literally in a mindset of this guy's a fraud. Our Father, God, Thou and Thee and Thine. And then the same guys tell you the King James Bible is hard to understand and we need to update it. That's a stinking fraud, man. That ain't legit to me. You don't know how to pray. Don't put it across to everybody like you're some kind of a prayer warrior. (laughs) Even if you pray an hour a day and pour your soul out to God, then if you really are pouring your soul out to God, that's between you and God. You're not bragging about that. You don't know how to pray, and neither do I. The Bible says you don't. Like you know how to approach God Almighty, the omniscient, all-knowing, all-powerful, everywhere God, and just exactly tell Him exactly what He needs to do. My very prayer is sin. You ever hear somebody talk about how pure their heart is? There is no malice in my heart. Not an ounce. I put my back to the wall and just start moving like that. Like, okay, I got to watch this one. That's one very, very dangerous individual. You think your heart's perfect. You think you know how to pray. No, you don't. Your heart's so deceitful and desperately wicked, you can't even know it. And the Spirit of God and the Lord Jesus Christ knows every bit of it. Man, that to me... You know why that's powerful to me? Because He loves me anyways. And He goes to bat for me. He goes to bat for me. Look at it. But the Spirit itself... Now... You're very, very uneducated preachers with multiple degrees will tell you that the King James translation there isn't accurate because it should be the Spirit Himself because the Spirit is the third part of the Trinity. But I showed you before in the Old Testament when it's talking about the Holy Spirit, the capital S is the, 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 the S is not even capitalized because in the Old Testament He was an active force. He didn't come as a person until the New Testament. Jesus said, and the Comforter shall come. He hadn't come yet, right? You following that? So the person of the Holy Spirit hadn't showed up and started indwelling people. Active force was going on in the Old Testament, but not his personage. So in this context, it's talking about the work that he does. So when it says the Spirit itself, it's talking about his work. So your King James Bible is 100% correct to put itself. The Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So you've got more than one part of the Godhead interceding for you. Now, don't turn there because I want to wrap this up in the next minute or two here. But Revelation 2.23, Jesus says, I search the hearts, right? And here the Spirit searches the hearts. So you've got Jesus Christ, search, He would search at the hearts. That's Jesus Christ, knoweth the mind of the Spirit. Excuse me. So Jesus is searching the heart and that he knows the mind of the spirit. So he knows the difference between what's in your head and what's the mind of Christ inside of you at the same time. But where you got both of them working is in the intercessory part. Because the spirit maketh intercession for the saints, right? But Hebrews 7.25 says Jesus Christ ever liveth to do what? Oh. So Jesus searches the hearts. 
but he knows the mind of the Spirit. So the Spirit of God inside of you, watching you in your struggles and your sufferings and your infirmities, watching you with your own will, knows what's best for you more than you know for yourself. Yeah. Making sense? And so you get down and you say, God, take this cup from me. God, please take away this problem and that problem and fix this and that and give me this much money and that much deal and make this happen and make that happen and deal with that person, this person, the other person. And the Lord's like, Jesus is like, wow, that heart is all about itself right now. And then he looks at the Spirit and he knows the mind of the Spirit and the Spirit of God says, no, that's not what's best for him. Leave him with that problem and don't give him the money because he'll walk away from us and he won't do with it what he thinks and what he says he will, trust me. And, Right? So he intercedes. And then he takes your prayers up, verse 27. He that searcheth the heart knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints. How? According to the will of God. Man, if you can learn to pray according to God's will, there's nothing that will stop that prayer. Nothing. When you don't get your prayers answered, it's because your prayers aren't in line with his will. That's powerful. And we know, verse 28, that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. There you go. There's the infamous verse. And it's the one everybody quotes whenever somebody gets into trouble. Somebody's got a big problem you don't have, and they're sitting there, and they're scared, and they're discouraged, and they're beat up, and they're drug out, and they're depressed, and they're everything else. And then you walk in, the mighty spiritual giant that you are, never having been through what they've been through, and you smack them in the face with Romans 8.28. <laughs> to say, you shouldn't be crying, and you shouldn't be struggling, and you shouldn't be depressed, and, and we know that all things work together for the, This is for your good, so shut up! And you've pulled the verse completely out of its context. And not taken a look at anything around it. Because the whole context leading up to it is the manifestation of the sons of God. It's the predestination to being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. It's not even in this world. It's the revealing later. The sufferings of this present time that aren't worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed. So guess what that thing's telling you? That when you get to heaven, all things work together for your good to them that love God and are called according to His purpose. What's the calling? Look at verse 29. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. You know what the calling is? The calling is to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Now, I'll get into this verse. We'll overlap this verse again next week. But what you got to understand is he foreknew. God knew who wouldn't wouldn't get saved. That doesn't mean he picked. And the ones that got saved are predestined after salvation. Once you get saved, your destiny is set. That means one day every one of you will be just like Jesus Christ. But that's after you break free of that sinful body you're in. In the meanwhile, you got an opportunity to suffer for His name and the suffering in the context based on chapter 7 is struggling against sin and choosing to put the sin down and follow the Holy Spirit of God, not the flesh. And it's a battle one day at a time that's worth fighting. All right, we'll stop there for tonight. Pick it up here next week. Father, we